Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. It's all standards. Our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as all the people who watch us around the world on the internet. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning, this Palm Sunday morning. <clears throat> Quick announcements. Let's see. Uh, we want to, talk to you, remind you about our living under the influence. <laughs> Wisconsin people are pretty good at that. Living under the influence. This is not under the influence of alcohol, however. Alcohol does kind of empower people. It makes them say all kinds of incredibly stupid things. <laughs> they think, you're much better looking when you're drinking. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff. They, just all versions of dumb that come out from alcohol because you're under the influence. All right? Well, we're talking about being under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God encourages you to say really good things and do smart things and empowered things as opposite of the other type of influences. The class is going to be Friday, April 22nd at 6.30 to 9. Saturday, 9 to noon, it'll be simulcast to our campuses. Yes, no? Yes, no, yes. Not yes, no, just yes. So all you guys, all y'all can get in on it, all right? Um, today is our missions Sunday. What's our report for our missions giving so far? <clears throat> Where are we at? $50,126 so far. 10000 over to where we were last year, which was a lot better than the year before. So continuing to grow. Let me encourage you. Be as generous as you can in these missions opportunities. This is a way to really show the love of God to people uh, in a way that can't benefit or doesn't benefit you at all. I mean, at some level, even when we give a church, we're still kind of helping ourselves, right? I mean, you're making it possible for the nice chairs they're in and the pastor that you have and all the people and the lights and everything and seeing my beautiful face every Sunday. All of this makes it possible. But when you give to missions, you don't get anything back in this life. This is strictly going into eternity, laying up treasures in heaven, where you go to help people you do not know, you have no contact, you'll probably never, ever meet them this side of eternity, but it's where we go out of our way to go help others who are in great need. Uh, one of our projects that we do over and over again, I think we've done this about 15 times now, is we'll go to poor areas of the world where they don't have water, clean water, and we work hard with a team and we drill and uh, put in freshwater wells to these communities, and it's a big deal for them, uh, as you can well imagine. Jesus said, if you give somebody so much as a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Well, we're going way more than a cup. We're giving a whole bunch of, of, of water uh, to help them. And as we do that, we're doing this as a witness and a testimony to uh, 
to Christ. These people don't know us. They do see, don't we get a little plaque somewhere? Made possible by Celebration Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. <clears throat> Someday in heaven they'll go, oh, that's you guys. All right. Anyway, we just sent a group, mostly young people, right? Young adults, yeah, in their teens, going over. And uh, we have a little video clip to show you what they did. then. <clears throat> want to encourage you to take a trip with us. Check with uh, the church and see what trips are coming up and uh, take off. It's like a week. They have a lot of fun, as you can well imagine, <laughs> hanging out together. Really great opportunity to get to know some people that you don't know uh, and spend some time getting dirty and helping people and uh, just being kind uh, with no immediate rewards. Instead, rewards that are coming in heaven uh, we want to keep in, uh, in mind this morning, uh, you know, we read in the newspaper or headlines this morning that uh, two churches in Egypt, uh, Christians in Egypt who were gathering for their Palm Sunday service, just like we are gathering now for ours, came together with their family and friends and uh, two ISIS bombs went off and killed uh, close to 30 or over 30, I don't know what the number was, people. Uh, dead, much less wounded, and the shock of it all. And we want to remember these people in our prayers. Uh, we don't know them, but they are part of the family of God, the Christian faith, and uh, they live in a very difficult part of the world. And God bless them. And we just want to pray that God will give them continued strength and boldness, that even, even in the face of attacks and persecution, they will be like Christians before them and continue to stand strong and proclaim the gospel of Christ no matter what. So prayers for them. Uh, we also have uh, sad news uh, this week. Uh, I don't know how many of you know Ted and Kara Clem, uh, but a young couple that uh, go to our church, uh, two little rugrats, one, three, and five. Uh, Kara was driving a car. Uh, she just Facebooked me the other day, I think just before this happened. They'd been at our <coughs> marriage seminar in... Uh, Appleton and you know just positive and she was saying all sorts of nice things and if she's driving the car uh, they don't know what happened maybe she missed the stop sign getting distracted can't imagine getting distracted with children 
But I went through the stop sign and got slammed by a big uh, dump truck and killed her. Uh, And the three children, uh, amazingly, uh, are fine. Uh, So that's the miracle of that, that those little three rascals are just, they're doing great. But you can imagine the shock. 31 years old, her whole life in front of her, a part of this church family and everything, and boom, snuffed out just like that. Uh, We've had our share of heartaches over this last year or so. Wonderful family in our church. Also, their daughter was uh, terribly murdered uh, earlier and another going through the court process and the trial and all that stuff. And You know, I say over and over, you have to understand life is temporary. You don't know how long you have. Now, hopefully we all have long lives and live to irritate our grandchildren for years to come and great-grandchildren. But even that, even factor then, it's still a short life. And many don't get that. And it's taken from them violently or by an accident or whatever. Just always want to keep in mind, love the people that you have in your life. Appreciate them. You don't know, but boom, in a moment, they will not be with you. The good news is people of faith, as we know, we will see them again. Hallelujah. All right. But uh, so anyway, I'm going to keep uh, the Clems in, in your uh, prayers and stuff and, and those who've gone through. One thing's for sure. Our Lord, who was taken at just 33 years of age, brutalized, killed the way he was. If there's anyone who can understand heartache and suffering like that, it is he. So when you talk to God, it's not theoretical for him. He knows exactly, because the real pain is those who are left behind, right? God knows exactly what you feel, and uh, he was always there for you. Uh, last Sunday, <clears throat> part of an uh, ongoing series called The Significant Events of the Old Testament, I had spent 24 hours on an airplane to go up to northern Canada, up where, you know, no one should be there. Uh, and from there, it's like the North Pole. I mean, it's like 12 hours to get there. All right, and then I do my talk, and 12 hours to come back. So as I'm spending all this time in planes and airports and, you know, getting ready to do my message, working on the next significant event of the Old Testament, talking about Isaac and Rebecca, and I set it up brilliantly last week, letting you know that this week, next, next Sunday, you get part two. And then I went home and looked at the calendar and went, oh, wait a minute, it's Palm Sunday. So we're leaving you hanging. You got to wait a couple of more Sundays to get part two. It's all right. You come to church all the time anyway, right? Thank you. All right. So what difference does it make? We'll pick it up. Uh, Today we're talking about Palm Sunday, this big major event. We are now celebrating on the church calendar the last week of Jesus' life. This day, some 2,000 years ago, after preaching all around Judea and Jerusalem and stuff, he comes in a triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. He'd been to Jerusalem before, but this time it's different. And it's very, very powerful. And we celebrate this, known as Palm Sunday. And uh, I've been reading uh, a series of books. I I like reading history books. And I ran into a a series of books written by Bill O'Reilly. They're the killing series, where he goes back and he tells you about the killing of Abraham Lincoln and the killing of uh, John F. Kennedy and several people throughout history. They are brilliantly written. I mean, it is. I've read other stuff that he does, and I got to keep my eyes open trying to, but these, 
This one, he nails it. And it's done so well. So he's got all these books. Well, it gets to the one, it's called Killing Jesus. And I skipped that one because I didn't want to get ticked off. Right? Because why insult your own? Until I, I can't stand these people who when it comes to Jesus or anything in the Bible, they just, it's more of an assault than anything. And they make stuff up and attack your faith and all this other kind of stuff. It's like Hollywood. Hollywood can't do a decent movie about the Bible. They're always putting them all kinds of goofball stuff in it. I can't stand it. Last one I went to was a Noah one. Was that ever moronic? You know, big stone people building the ark. Really? What is this? It was just so jacked up. And uh, uh, stowaways on the boat, like we're watching Gilligan's Island. I mean, what is this? So, uh, um, so when I saw that, and, and then like these new movies of Jesus and stuff, I, I, tend, I tend not to go to these things. They just tick me off because they can't just tell you the actual, like, this isn't incredible. It's amazing. You got to add to this? What planet do you live on? Anyway, they can't leave it alone. I just assume O'Reilly massacres the thing. After finishing the entire series, I thought, okay, I got to at least try the last one I skipped. Killing Jesus, getting ready to be assaulted. As I start reading it, I am floored and blown away at how accurately he keeps the biblical events. He nails it. And while everybody, anybody talking about the Bible, you can always find one little thing here and there. They're extremely minor. He nails it. And let me encourage you, if you're kind of new to your faith and the Bible and stuff's kind of hard to read, let me encourage you, get this book, Killing Jesus. He does it. It's so easy to read. It's like reading a novel. He does it in a brilliant way and dead on accurate to what the Bible records. And kudos to Mr. Riley for not, uh, for keeping to the truth and not assaulting our faith. Uh, And it done really, 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 really well. So if you're fairly new to your faith, the Bible's kind of hard to you, read it. And that, in fact, this week would be a great week to read this as we're all thinking about this event that happens uh, over this next week. Anyway, I was so stunned by it. I, I remember when I read this months ago, I thought, man, I, I want to share this <clears throat> when we get to Palm Sunday. So I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go over to my little stool here and read. My wife's not crazy about me reading. Don't read. People don't want to hear you read. But she loves me anyway. All right, so... I'll try not to be. It's short. It's short. Actually, it's good. I listen to her. I'm a better preacher because of her. I am. She smacks me. (laughs) All right. But I'm ignoring her today. All right. Here we go. The next morning, now let me set this up. The, the, The setting here is, this is all the people have come to Jerusalem, all the pilgrims. You know, it's a big pilgrimage to come for Passover. It's a big deal. And it's not like they all go down to the Ritz and the, you know, Sheridan, you know what I'm saying? They're all camping out. It's like, imagine the biggest music festival, you know, for you geezers my age, the Woodstock of the day, okay? They they got tents everywhere and people are spread all over the hillside and stuff like that. So they're just dotted all over the place. The city is just a buzz as all these pilgrims come and they're getting ready. And then, so uh, O'Reilly is putting that in this context of, in that great crowd, Jesus getting ready to come into Jerusalem. Uh, he's making the assumption that uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples are staying at uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead, staying at his house. Uh, I don't think the Bible actually says that, but uh, it certainly would make sense. But anyway, so here we pick it up. <clears throat> the next morning, Jesus selects two disciples and gives them a most special task. 
Go to the village ahead of you, he orders them. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you have to remember, you can't just go up and take a donkey. <laughs> you know, it's like someone just hopping in your car and driving it away. All right, <clears throat> you get in big trouble for that. But Jesus tells them to go do it. You're going to see them when you get there. Just take it and bring it to me. If anybody says anything, tell them, don't worry about it. The Lord needs it, and they'll let you have it. And that's what happens. Then Jesus and the other 10 disciples set out, knowing that they will return to Lazarus' home this evening. They travel light. No need for the satchel of supplies or the walking sticks that most pilgrims carry. Crowds of pilgrims press in and around Jesus as he walks. Their voices carry the familiar drawl of their regions. The pilgrims are excited that their journey is almost over, and many are rejoicing that the famous Jesus of Nazareth is in their presence. Just on the other side of Bethpage, the two disciples stand waiting. One holds the bridle of a donkey that has never been ridden. And they have to say, this is one of the amazing events of that day as well. You don't just hop on a donkey that's never been ridden. <clears throat> that's a bad day for you, all right? You got to break these critters in, all right? But Jesus, on an animal who had never been or sits on it, and the kid, the thing doesn't kick. It's just because he knows who he is. It's amazing. So the animal is a bareback. A disciple removes his square cloak and lays it across the animal's back as an, as an improvised saddle. The other disciples move their remove their cloaks and lay them on the ground in an act of submission, forming a carpet on which the donkey can walk. Following this example, many of the pilgrims remove their own cloaks and lay them on the ground. Others gather palm fronds or snap branches off of olive and cypress trees and wave them with delight. This is the sign everyone has been waiting for. This is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. Now, let me tell you about Zechariah's prophecy. This is uh, found in Zechariah the ninth chapter is the Old Testament, a prophecy, one of the many prophecies about this Messiah that would come. They're all waiting for the Messiah. And as Jesus comes, he starts fulfilling all these prophecies. Now, this is a big deal, this one, because let's read it. Zechariah, the ninth chapter, it says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They all knew this prophecy. For Jesus to get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem at this point is a major statement. He is literally declaring he is the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And these people are jazzed. They've been reading these prophecies since little children. And now here he is, and he's riding into Jerusalem. It doesn't take long to put that in your head. This is it. This is the event that we've heard about. And the Pharisees, they are fit to be tied, mad as rattlesnakes. Because they know the symbolism as well, and they don't appreciate it one bit. This is what's happening. They're excited. This event of Zechariah is unfolding in front of their eyes. Blessed is the king, shouts the disciple. The people join in, exalting Jesus and crying out to him. Hosanna, they chant. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus rides forth on the donkey, and the people bow down. Oh, Lord, save us, they implore, thankful that the Christ has finally come to rescue them. Of course, in their mind, he's come to rescue them from the Romans. They are under uh, Roman oppression. 
Rome is the big power of the day. They're occupying lands everywhere out of fear, and they put heavy taxes on the people to support the Roman. They hated, they hated the Romans. And they wanted the Messiah to come and deliver them from the Romans. They thought for sure the Messiah was coming as an earthly Messiah. <clears throat> so they cry out, O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The words of thanksgiving are from Psalm 118, a psalm that they sing at Passover. This is the moment for which these simple peasants have waited so long. Of all the thousands of pilgrims who set out for Jerusalem, these are the lucky few who can tell their children and their children's children that they witnessed the grand moment when Jesus the Christ rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. But not everyone bows down. A group of Pharisees has been waiting for Jesus and now look on with disgust. They call out to him, giving the Nazarene one last chance to avoid a charge of blasphemy. Teacher, they yell, rebuke, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus refuses. I tell you, he informs the Pharisees, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Others who have heard that Jesus is near have run out from Jerusalem, spreading palm branches along the path of the Nazarene. This is a traditional sign of triumph and glory. The donkey stops atop the Mount of Olives. Jesus takes it all in. Tents cover the hillside, for this is where the poor Galileans camp during the Passover. Jerusalem calls out to Jesus from just across the small Kidron Valley, and the temple gleams in the midday sun. Throngs of pilgrims line the path, winding down into the valley. The mud and limestone trail is remarkably steep, and Jesus will have to use great caution to guide the donkey downhill without getting thrown. This is his day. Jesus' whole life has pointed to this moment. He will now ride forth to stake his claim as the king of the Jews. But suddenly, Jesus begins to weep. Riley writes, perhaps it's the thought of spending a last week with his good friends Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Maybe it's because he foresees the eventual destruction of this great city. Perhaps he looks on Jerusalem knowing that his own pageantry will be short-lived, for the Nazarene has powerful enemies within the city walls. For the past three years, Jesus has been adored, but he's also been the subject to attack and suspicion. Even his disciples, despite their deep belief in Jesus and his teachings, sometimes care more about jockeying for power than about understanding his true nature and his message to the world. He has been very specific with the disciples that he is more than just an earthly Christ. They don't understand. He's told them again and again that he is a divine being, the son of God. They cannot comprehend that concept. Jesus makes it clear that he is the Christ, but that his kingdom is not of this world. They don't understand what he's talking about. Three times Jesus has told his disciples that he will die this week. We're watching some <coughs> pinheaded thing on PBS about the life of Jesus last week. And they were talking about his last supper, and the PBS person says, you know, Jesus at this moment had an eerily accurate premonition. <laughs> Bunch of nimrods. He told them over and over again, I'm going to Jerusalem. It's not a premonition. They're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, but I will rise again on the third day. He knew it all, he held nothing back, but these guys couldn't get it. 
premonition. I kind of feel like something might happen. Nimrods. Jesus told him three times he would die this week, but his followers refused to even contemplate that. Most frustrating of all is the fear that his disciples cannot understand the true meaning of Jesus. These men know him better than any other. They've walked countless miles at his side, listened to his teaching for hours on end, and sat with him in quiet reverence to pray. Yet these disciples still do not understand who he truly claims to be. In this moment of triumph, Jesus is experiencing agony. He has long strategized about the words he will say at Passover and the effect they will have on his followers, both old and new. He knows that his claims of being a king will lead to his crucifixion. He will be sacrificed. Just as surely as those countless Passover lambs, it is just a matter of time. The Nazarene stares down the path coursing through the olive trees. In the distance, he sees the Garden of Gethsemane and then the flat depression of the narrow Kidron Valley. Looking across the valley, he sees the same well-trod path rising up to Jerusalem's walls. Time to go. As the hosannas rain down on all sides and the Pharisees look on from a place nearby with their usual veiled contempt, Jesus coaxes the donkey forward. Step by careful step, the two descend the Mount of Olives, cross the Kidron Valley, and travel through a tunnel of worshipers with Jesus riding majestically up the hill and into the great and golden city of Jerusalem, exactly as it was prophesied long, long ago. Now he comes into the city. The first thing he does, now he's looking up, he sees the Roman soldiers there. They're very imposing. They're there to keep order. On top of that, you've got the temple guards also there to keep order. They're all nervous as cats on a hot tin roof. Because anything gets out of hand with this crowd and the Romans will come in and with blood calm everything down. And amazing, in the midst of this tense situation, the first thing Jesus does is he walks in and he sees the money changers who have taken this opportunity of worship just to line their pockets, and he's ticked. And in the face of all these Roman soldiers and the temple guards, he takes a whip and starts knocking the snot out of these guys, kicking over every temple and just ripping the place apart and yelling at them. And amazingly, even as history records, the guards do nothing. They just watch. This is the power of God at work right before their eyes, and they don't know how to handle it. It goes on. Jesus goes in, and now for the next several days during this week, and again, get the book. Great book to read for this week. During this week, he goes in, and he challenges the religious leaders of the day. He gets in their faces. He calls them phonies. He tells them that they are children of hell. He announces that they are blind, and anyone who follows them is also blind. He proclaims they're like tombs of the dead, nice and shiny on the outside, but full of dead bones on the inside. He declares them as wicked 
and he pronounces them snakes. This is highly insulting. These are the religious rock stars of the day. These are all the guys with the big priestly robes and the power of the you know, religious community, and they're so full of hypocrisy and baloney, and Jesus gets in their face and calls them out, and it ticks them off, and they want to kill him. They try to trap him. They keep sending people to ask him questions that, see, these guys are so smart. This little uneducated guy, he could never figure out an answer to, but he nails every answer and nails it out of the ballpark. Finally, one guy says, man, I got the great one. Let me go ask him about paying taxes. Nobody likes to pay taxes. And everybody said, amen, right? So he says, because they hated Rome. They hated Rome, and the Romans made them pay taxes. And they hated it because it was going to Rome. They didn't like it. Uh, it reminded me, I just also finished a book reading about the uh, uh, American Revolution. All that was over taxes. We hated paying taxes to Rome. We finally won, and then everybody's taxes went up. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Anyway, so, but at least we're taxing our own people, people that we can deal with, and it's not getting sent to some king. So it's like that to these people. They hate the Romans. So he says, let's ask him if it's okay to pay taxes. If he says, yeah, all the people are going to get ticked off. And if he says, no, the Romans will come get him. This is, oh man, this guy's smart. He comes to Jesus. Jesus, we know you're a wonderful man. They always sucked up to him. Blah, blah, blah. He says, uh, I got a question for you. Is, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Everybody looks at Jesus. Jesus said, bring me one of the coins. They hand him a coin. He says, whose inscription is this? Whose image is on here? They said, it's Caesar. And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And they were so frustrated they couldn't nail him. They wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't because they were afraid of the people. And at night, once he left the city, it's Woodstock out there. Where is he? We're not going to be able to find him. They are so frustrated. Then finally, someone comes along and says, I know where he is. I'll show you. His name is Judas. And this is what sets the beginning of all the events that happened this weekend. Now, on Wednesday night, we're going to be having this big baptismal service. If you've never been baptized as an adult, be like Jesus, who was at 30 years when he was baptized, wasn't baptized as babies. People in the Bible were never baptized as babies. Follow the biblical example. If you're an adult, you've never been baptized as a follower of Christ, contact the church, your campuses. We're going to have a great baptismal service. We're really looking forward. That's this Wednesday. But on Friday at 1 o'clock, we're going to have our Good Friday service. I want to encourage you to come. There's no preaching in this service. This is just a reflective service. We're going to be reading from you. Just like I just read that, I'm going to read to you what happened on that day, the day that he died. And then we'll just leave. There'll be some music and stuff singing along, but uh, it's just a reflective service. And then on Sunday, we're going to celebrate the big win. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. You say, Jesus knew all about this. Yeah. Now, why did he do it? Why did he do it? See, he did it intentionally. It's why he came into the world. God in the flesh. So why would he do that? See, we don't get it. The problem of mankind is we are sinful people. Well, not everybody. Yeah, everybody. Even children. Even children. Have a conversation with a two-year-old. <laughs> Listen to that. No, no, mine, mine, ah! 
yeah, there's, there's something in there, all right. And this poisonous sin is so repulsive to God, and God warned mankind, if you do this, you're going to have to pay a price. And it's a big price. The price would be eternally being separated from God. And here's this huge debt that we all owe God because of our sins and selfishness. And there's nothing we can do. We can't pay the price. I don't know if you've ever had a debt you couldn't pay. It's not very comfortable. At least in this country, we have things like bankruptcy laws. They, you can try and get out of the debt. But even then, somebody winds up paying it, you know. But here's some, there's no bankruptcy judge you can call for this debt. There's no way out. It has to be paid. It's like your mortgage. You got to pay the mortgage. It has, it has to be paid. Doesn't it? Every month, it has to be paid. How many would love it if I came and said, I'll pay it for you? Would you like that? Yeah. Dream that dream. All right, so <laughs> it's always good to stay hopeful. <laughs> Maybe Pastor Mark will pay my mortgage. Yeah, you go with that. But either way, either you pay it or I pay it, it has to be paid. If you're in a situation where you can't pay it, it wouldn't be great if someone else came up and said, I will pay it. See, that's what God does. God says you are in such a mess. You are so lost. This debt is so high. You'll never be able to pay it. We are stuck. What are we going to do? And he says, I'll pay it. It has to be paid. He can't just ignore it. All right, forget it. Uh, so you did all those horrible things for you. No, it's, the price has to be paid or he's not God because he said a price had to be paid. So he comes and he pays it himself. He allows himself to be brutalized, crucified on that cross, taking on the sins of the entire world so that now we could know forgiveness of sins and walk in new life all because of what was done on that cross. This is what we'll be thinking about and celebrating all this week as we culminate with our great celebration next Sunday on Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great sacrifice, your love, that you so loved us, you came into the earth and you took our punishment. You took our rap. Lord, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem, fulfilling that great prophecy, and then for that week, proclaiming the truth of God, the enemies come and they think they really got him because Jews just helps them out and they think they really got it, but all this was foreknown. You knew it all would happen. Jesus told them it would all would happen. And he quietly subjected himself to all that punishment and pain for our sakes. But we look forward as we celebrate next Sunday that he didn't stay in the grave he was raised from the dead and is alive to this very day. We're so grateful for that. Oh, Lord, bless this week, we pray, as we ponder all these thoughts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a great day.